Exactly two years since Myanmar's military staged a coup, ousting the government and arresting its de facto leader Aung San Suu Kyi, Australia has imposed sanctions on 16 officials from the ruling junta. It's a significant move for Canberra, which until now has been reluctant to join international sanctions against the country's leadership. This is how Foreign Minister Penny Wong explained the government's decision during a speech in London overnight. I've said before, sanctions will rarely be our first choice. We have looked to support the work of ASEAN and work with others to put pressure on the regime, including through the United Nations. But it is ultimately about making the best judgment we can about the right approach at the right time. My judgment is that the time has come for sanctions. Christopher Lamb is a former ambassador to Myanmar and he joins me now. Welcome. Good afternoon. Christopher, how do you assess the timing of these sanctions? Why now? Uh, Well, uh, why today, put it that way? Today is the second anniversary, and I suspect that uh, that's one of the main reasons why the the sanctions were imposed today on the second anniversary at a time when the issues are very clear in people's minds. Uh, We've had two years of this repressive military regime. Uh, There are demonstrations taking place all around the world, led by the diaspora people themselves. And it suits, I should think, everybody in in a political sense to do it today. There were other days when it could have been done earlier, of course, but uh, they've chosen today. And I don't want to go back uh, over the past, except to say that we've been arguing in the Australian Myanmar Institute, of which I'm the president, for these sanctions for a very long time. And it's high time that it happened. That now having happened, it's time to move on and think about what to do next to make them work. We have, of course, recently seen the return of Australian man Sean Turnell, who had been detained by the military junta in Myanmar for quite some time. He returned uh, to Australia. Is it because we've gotten our man back, in a sense, that we are now prepared to take this step? Well, it's easier to do it with him not being detained. Uh, That can't be the only reason. If I look back at my own time in foreign affairs and indeed as ambassador in Myanmar, we wouldn't have recommended that we put everything around the fate of one man. We're talking about a whole country and one which has got a lot of people in its own diaspora here in Australia. And I think that uh, Sean's case is very important and he's a good personal friend of mine. But I wouldn't have let that interfere with bringing justice for the people of Myanmar. What role does the regional response play then? Because at a summit in November, ASEAN leaders didn't change their approach to Myanmar. They just continued to call for dialogue on all sides. Do you think that played any role in Canberra's decision because ASEAN leaders weren't changing their position? There's a lot of frustration around the the world, I should say, with ASEAN's inability to go beyond its five-point consensus that it adopted not long after the military took over. But the fact that the military, having supposedly, or in their own words, accepted what ASEAN had said to them about what they need to do, which includes uh, dialogue between all the parties, including the opposition politicians, uh, that was rejected by the military. ASEAN are very much discomforted by the fact that their own proposal, which they thought the Myanmar military had accepted, had then been discarded, in fact, put into basically a rubbish bin by the Myanmar military. And so there are countries in ASEAN who would, in usual circumstances, have been much more accommodating of the Myanmar military in power, who have had nowhere to go with the rudeness with which they've been dealt by the military. 
So I think that the Australian position, judged as it needed to be alongside the positions of the other ASEAN countries, is one that has given a maximum time for the ASEAN countries to achieve something. That having not happened, I'm sure that they would have spoken to the ASEAN countries and said, we're planning to introduce sanctions, and they would have gone ahead and done it after that level of consultation. Mm. Now, it worries me a little bit that the, the main media reaction to this is to line up Australia as usual with the US, the UK, and others of that, of, of that supposedly like-minded kind. We're not exactly like-minded. We have our own national interests at play in the Indo-Pacific region that those countries don't have. And I'm glad that we've done what we have. Tell me about the sanctions themselves, particularly those imposed on Myanmar Economic Holdings and Myanmar Economic Corporation. What are these two entities and how significant are these sanctions? They are companies, supposedly independent companies, but set up by the military uh, with their principal shareholding, if not all their shareholding, in the hands of the military, and they are the main economic managers for the country at the moment. They replace, to some extent, a system of uh, economic management by what were known as cronies. Uh, th- these companies are basically the military's way of running the economy from within the economy, and they are regarded by practically everybody who looks at them as nothing more than shadows of the main military management. So by placing sanctions on them, how significant are these sanctions and how effective will they be, do you think? They're only really effective to the extent that they are followed by other important countries. And as the US, the European Union, the UK, Canada and New Zealand all take the view that these companies are uh, shadows of the military, Uh, It deprives the military of its opportunity to use the companies to escape sanctions directly on the military itself. And so it deprives those companies of their ability to strengthen the the military's own financial hold on the country. A lot less money will move through Myanmar with sanctions placed on these two companies. The head of Transparency International Australia has said that Australia should also introduce sanctions which target individuals, in particular Myanmar's generals and their families. What do you think of that measure? Should we look at that? Well, the the 16 sanctions announced today, which go on top of five others that were introduced in 2018 because of the Rohingya crisis, these 16 are all aimed at individuals. It doesn't aim at the families of those individuals, but if you were uh, attempting, if you were one of the generals and you were attempting to send your kids to an Australian university, you would find that a pretty pretty much a closed door. I don't know that a lot more can be gained by uh, nominally extending the sanctions to the families, but in effect they would be covered by them. Christopher Lamb is a former ambassador to Myanmar. If you've just joined us, he's talking about Australia's new sanctions on Myanmar here on RN Drive. Christopher Lamb, the UN Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in Myanmar says at least 2,900 people have lost their lives since the start of the coup two years ago and more than 17,000 people have been detained. What is daily life like for people in Myanmar at the moment? Oh, it depends on where you are, of course, to, to some extent at least, but in most parts of the country now, to be outside is dangerous. It's a country which has uh, always had an element of danger because there's been civil war of one kind or another taking place ever since independence in 1948. 
But in most of the country, it was safe to move around. But it's not safe now. If you were a young person in Myanmar, and that's where the bulk of the opposition to the present military regime comes from, you would find that your life was under constant surveillance. Uh, it would be very difficult for you to maintain independent thinking or to get news from independent sources. They've attempted to lock down the internet and to prevent it from bringing news to people. The young people know how to get around that, and you can imagine that easily in Australia. If you tried to deprive young people of the internet here, it would be a dismal failure, and it has been to a large extent there. But it means people spend a lot of their time trying to evade uh, the consequences of, of a harsh military rule. There are also shortages of food and other essential supplies for a lot of people. There is an election planned for August. A military junta has just released the requirements for the parties wishing to contest that election. What are your thoughts about this upcoming poll? Well, I've seen those, and I think that those uh, restrictions on, on political party registration mean that they're pretty much, it's impossible really to see them as being the rules that you'd need for an independent election. Uh, the only party which I can see which would be likely to be able to meet the requirements of those rules is the military-backed USDP, Union Solidarity Development Party. I can't see anybody else getting there. And, and parties like Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy have already denounced these rules. I think that the, it's very unlikely also that they'll be able to get an atmosphere in which the elections can be held freely and fairly anywhere in the country, even if the rules could be accepted. There are stories running around now in the country that suggest that the military is not going to have the elections as scheduled in August, but they will delay them. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Christopher Lamb, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for the interview. It's very important to get this news out. Christopher Lamb is a former ambassador to Myanmar. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.